Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle's program all about the built environment. I'm your host, Carlotta Rabello. This week, we pack our bags and head to the UAE. The United Arab Emirates is quite a young nation, and while that presents its own set of challenges, it also provides ample opportunity to innovate and take risks when thinking about the future of our cities. For the latest issue of our annual magazine, The Entrepreneurs, we decided to put that business acumen into focus and meet those championing change in the Gulf. We'll meet the men pioneering sustainable neighborhoods and dreaming up planet-friendly utopian cityscapes. This is a mega city of micro cities. So let's get the micro cities right. There's no point connecting the big picture if the micro communities don't allow for walkability or cycling. And we hop on a golf buggy to get a tour of Expo City in Dubai and explore the site's sustainability ambitions. There's a reason why when you look out of the window, all of those solar panels and water-to-air technology in those panels, everywhere you look around the Expo City speaks to living in balance. That's why you see so much green. That's all ahead in the next 30 minutes here on The Urbanist with me, Carlotta Rabello. So welcome to this week's episode. The newest issue of our annual business special, The Entrepreneurs, is on newsstands now. And as such, we wanted to bring you just two of the insightful conversations and interviews you can find inside its pages. Our first stop today is the HQ of design firm Herb. No relation to us, we promise. Its CEO and founder, Baharash Bagerian, is on a mission to create sustainable neighborhoods and develop master plans that put quality of life first. But Bagerian doesn't want to simply deliver these services. He also wants to inspire others to be part of the transformation. To do so, Herb recently launched an incubator for young companies seeking to scale in green technology. Monocle's Ed Stocker met up with Bagarian at his office in Dubai's design district, and he sent us this report. I think it starts from the why. And I think if we can answer the why, then we can understand more about URB. So URB was essentially started with a mission and how we could help transition, let's say, towards sustainable developments. And we know that we cannot just do that by just operating as a architect. We need to also be the developer behind these projects, but also we need to think of the entire supply chain and how we could create an ecosystem that thrives innovation. And that's where we came up also with the accelerator program at the same time. So we could actually invest in startups, but also even help them scale some new innovations that we need in our projects itself. Okay, give me an idea. You mentioned an incubator that is one of the many things that you seem to do. So you're trying to incubate sustainability tech companies here in the UAE to do what things? Maybe give us an idea of the sort of companies that are in this early stage of the incubation process. So essentially, we're looking at different sectors, and each of these sectors will have a huge impact to the future of cities. So when it comes to energy, water, and food, we're trying to create the nexus to kind of create the security that cities need, but to make it far more commercially viable and also something that we could scale. So some of the technologies that we're trying to bring into the incubator is people who already have a proof of concept. They just need market access and they need opportunities for us to help them scale it within UAE itself. We also have other sectors within the incubator. Mobility is a big part of the incubation. So looking at new technologies, again, some things that could be scaled and to close that you know, last mile 
within cities and to help us to create that 15-minute city initiative. And also you have food as well and other areas like building materials, etc. So if you look at holistically what we need to achieve to create sustainable cities and future cities, we need to address it in a holistic way, looking at every segment of cities. So we know that we need innovations, we need technology to help us to create these sustainable cities. And I think collaborative and a collective effort is the only way to achieve it. So that's why I think that as a developer, we cannot just look at what's existing in, in the market and just using that. And that's what has been happening for the past decades, right? And that's why we don't really see a big leap when it comes to innovation within cities. So if we could actually say, you know what, let's find these people, let's create that ecosystem within Dubai, and let's make Dubai a global hub when it comes to urban tech. Because if we do that, then maybe we can think differently about cities. And actually, that collective effort will help us bend that curve far quicker to reducing our gas emissions, but also creating more livable cities. I mean, you create these amazing master plans of how the world could look, of how sustainable cities could be, of next generation mobility. But, you know, for now, they're still concepts and they are reliant. As you mentioned, you are also a developer that needs funds. So both, you know, getting these projects to actually happen rather than be utopian dream requires lots of money, lots of funding, investors, and the same goes for the incubators as well. How easy has that been? And there's money in the UAE. Do people want to spend that money on things like this? Absolutely. And I think it's not just money in UAE. Let me just give you some examples. We've been approached by investors who say, look, we have money. We just need projects to invest them in. So it's not the issue about funds. What we're trying to actually create, because they're so disruptive, Money is one part. The other part is trying to create change within policymaking and try to get the right partners. And that really involves the public sector to be part of that initiative. So this private-public, let's say, partnership is one of the key components to make this successful. But also, again, because they're so innovative, we also need new technologies to help us achieve what we're trying to really push the boundaries off. So investment, of course, is always going to be something that you need. But at the same time, there's got to be a commercially viable project there for people to also invest in. So that's why in all our master plans, you'll see that there are mixed use. It's never focusing on one segment. And I think that's what makes them sustainable. I've been working before you are on several sustainable cities as well as living in a sustainable city. So I know that sustainability is not just about creating a low impact city for residents to live in. They have to be commercially viable. So That's where we come in also as a developer. So we make sure that from a feasibility point of view, that these projects are investable from a private investment point of view. That's why things like, for example, the loop, it's not just a project where people go from A to B. There are mixed use of assets within that project itself. So we're looking at creating some hospitality components, some wellness components, so that those areas could also be leased and there's also revenue being generated from that project itself. And I think if you think of infrastructure in a way where it's no longer the public sector who builds them and invests in them, but how could we create new infrastructure where they're also investable from a private sector point of view and there's a return in equity, but at the same time, they're disruptive in the way people live. So I'll give you other examples like AgriHub. It's not just a place for food security and creating food. It's also a tourism destination. There are many different facilities within that project. There's an educational element to it as well. And again, Dubai Reefs, a mixed-use 
project, but it has an impact. You know, it's trying to essentially generate, you know, new artificial reefs, but at the same time trying to create a new economy for the city itself. So marine ecotourism and marine biology, it's something new that's never been heard of here in UAE in terms of how could we create millions of coral reefs within a place that essentially has been depleting quite rapidly. And I think that's not just an issue for Dubai, it's actually an issue for all cities globally. Each city needs to rethink how are we building, who's helping us to build these projects. And I think the why, what and the who is the three questions that every city needs to really try to answer. So I think, yes, we are creating, let's say, projects that's essentially inspiring people to think differently. But for us, we're also trying to shape the policies of cities and shape not just cities, but also how people think, their mindsets. So if we can help people reinvent themselves as businesses, governments, as well as people, that's part of our mission as a business itself. But to reiterate, you expect and want to see things like AgriHub and The Loop built one day? 100%. In fact, we're still working on these projects. For The Loop, we've had a team actually scanning the entire city of Dubai, trying to come up with a cycling network. What would be the first network to create a cycling city. Dubai right now has a very small cycling network. In fact, it doesn't really exist unless you really look at it. So we created the map and we kind of mapped out where is that. The loop alone cannot create a cycling city. We need to upgrade some of our infrastructure. And that's where the kind of cycling map that we're trying to create for the city comes in. And I think beyond that, if you look at AgriHub, you know, we're trying to now find where would be the best locations for such projects. We get approached by many companies who want to bring their technologies to projects like AgriHub as well as the Loop itself. So we know that there's still a long way to go to be able to be in a position where we say, you know what, we have got the right private, let's say, investors as well as the public sectors that will make this loop happen. But for us, as part of our mission is to really continue pushing the boundaries and to continue, let's say, bring the urban agenda to the core of Dubai. And I think that's what's most important than anything. I get a lot of questions from people asking us, what do you think is the kind of right infrastructure for Dubai for the next 20 to 30 years? What else you can do beyond the loop or the agri-hub or Dubai Reefs? And I think my answer to that is, it's less about design. Let's focus on the conversation. Let's bring that conversation to the public sector. Let's actually bring that conversation to the private sector. Let's get normal people talking about urban design. Let's bring urbanism even into education. And that's part of our next initiative that we are looking to do here in UAE. We're trying to bring urban design into the curriculum, as well as sustainability, which is something that hasn't happened in the past in many countries. I think you've said that, you know, you think this is just an amazing place to be for mobility, I think you said. Obviously, there's a long way to go. But what is it? Is it just inspiring people? Is it a willingness to change or feeling that there is space to change? What is it that makes you say that? I think if you look at Dubai from not just a resident, but even as a tourist, when you come to Dubai, you will see that this is a city that is all about change, right? It's all about looking into the future. And I think as someone who's, let's say, started a company here two years back, the approach that we've had from the government and also the private sector is very different to the approach I used to have in the past working in different countries. I think here, everyone is trying to raise that bar, right? So the challenge is not let's just do something that is slightly better, but actually how could we disrupt 
the entire model. So when it comes to urban mobility, how can we rethink you know, the 20-minute city idea, the concept of a 20-minute city? But even with, when it comes to developments, how could we really create interesting new projects? Because here we need to diversify the economy of Dubai, right? UAE in general. And I think if you look at the challenges that it's having, especially when it comes to climate change, not just in UAE, in many cities, we need bold visions. That's just no doubt about it. Bold visions that can influence change in every part of our lifestyles, whether it's the way kids are taught, right? Whether it's the way people work, the way we live, right? So I think urban living is still a very old way of living, right? We haven't really adapted. And I think we need to adapt if we're really going to have that quality of lifestyle that we all strive to have. It seems that there is a lot of fresh thinking here. There's a lot of interesting things happening in tech, in AI, in climate change. But also being here, spending some time here, everyone is extremely attached to their car. There are a lot of cars on the road. And the model feels quite American, having lived in the States, these spaghetti junctions, it's kind of all built for the car. And so in order to change that, in order to have the sort of urbanism that you talk about, a 15-minute city, being able to walk places, green canopies, these sustainable cities or areas, it would be a huge task because you essentially perhaps need to like replan everything because at the moment it's kind of like these separate communities as in you have a development that's built and it's out 20 minutes from the center of Dubai and you have these micro worlds almost like LA you know cities within cities so in order to have this sort of I guess dense urbanism and this incredible mobility it sounds like a lot of work absolutely I think this is probably one of the most challenging projects out there anywhere in any city I think here, even to go for a 10-minute walk, you see some people even driving within Dubai. It is a car-centric city, and it does require drastic change in order to really flip that model away from car travel towards cycling and walking. And I think what you said was quite interesting is that this is a mega city of micro cities. So let's get the micro cities right. There's no point connecting the big picture if the micro let's say communities don't allow for walkability or cycling. And I think if you go to a lot of these communities within Dubai, they actually have the opportunity to actually create cycling infrastructure inside them and to make walking and cycling the primary mode of transport, which doesn't really happen much in new developments. And most of Dubai is still unbuilt. If you actually really go out in Dubai, you'll see there's still a lot of new neighborhoods that are yet to be built. We still have much to kind of complete that puzzle. So I think it's important that the policies are in place for any new development in order to make sure that the walking and cycling is a primary kind of mode of transport inside them. And that's quite easy to actually do. That's where urbanism and urban planning comes in. And it's still viable to do in a place like Dubai, where it's even very extreme in the summer. And we've done it before. And it doesn't cost much more to actually do it. And the benefits is to those developers, because actually what's all the data are showing, such communities increase in values. They're far more attractive for people to live in them. They're safer. And yet at the same time, the air temperature in those communities are lower than adjacent communities because of the urban heat island effect. So first, let's get the micro right. And then we can also look at projects like the loop, etc. of how to connect the mega picture as well. Baharash Bagarian there in conversation with Monocle Z Stalker. 
Next, we're off to one of the newest metropolises to be built in the UAE, Expo City. While the area is best known for the World Expo 2020, the site's urban ambitions go far beyond hosting a global event. The United Arab Emirates is no stranger to the challenges of rapid urbanization and took this as an opportunity to create a city from the ground up with mobility, green credentials and livability in mind. To deliver this, the purpose-built site was planned from the very beginning as a future city, home to vibrant businesses and to a thriving residential hub. Some pavilions used by nations during the exhibition were built as permanent structures. Many were repurposed by companies since then, and others bought by the nations as permanent display spaces. I stopped by Expo City to meet with Nadia Vergi, the executive director of the global initiative of Expo City Dubai. We hopped on a golf buggy to get a tour of the site. So that's the China Pavilion. You can't miss it, that big round red thing. Mm-hmm. So that's becoming a... It is actually a Chinese cultural centre. So China does a lot of activities here. The Chinese New Year, there were 27,000 Chinese, I think. I'm getting that number right here. So they do a lot of things and they use their space. This is the Emirates building. They're going to be using this as part of their operations. That's the Saudi Arabia Pavilion, which is a um, fully sustainable lead platinum solar paneled they're using this for cop so all the saudi cultural activity and this is going to be the green zone so where we are now is going to be the green zone and then the blue zone is just adjacent which is the first time a cop has had a blue and a green zone next to each other and the smaller countries that are not typically at the heart of an expo they were all inside these buildings okay so these were the big boulevards and then all of these countries the lower floor the ground floor was all exhibition so they were very central. This is the UAE pavilion. It's designed by Santiago Calatrava, the Spanish mm-hmm. designer. So it's on hydraulic system and the, the falcon wings open and there are solar panels. So it's very beautiful when it's all working. And that's going to be a, a center for climate during COP and that UAE's main exhibition during COP. Have you heard of our Wazel Plasma, our 360 degree projection? At nighttime, it's absolutely spectacular. The whole thing comes to life. So these are, I think, 260 projectors. And they project onto this mesh panel. And they tell stories. And we have concerts. And we had Coldplay here. We had so many different concerts. It was crazy. So it's just a great venue. Do residents of you know Dubai engage a lot with the activities that happen here? Yeah, they do. Expo? You know, so we have a couple of sort of flagship Because we're only about a, a year old, really, as a city, when you think about it. And so one of the big festivals we have every year is the winter festival. So for Christmas, the entire place turns into this winter wonderland. We've got the Ramadan festival that happens the whole month of Ramadan. There's a lot of activity here that changes month to month. So there's a lot of sort of opportunities to come back. And then we've still got all all of our exhibitions. Al Kabulan is our Africa food hall, which is reopening. That's a surreal waterfall. I will show it to you. With a name like that, I need to see it. It, is, yes, it, is. it really is. It really is a beautiful experience. So all of these were little shops and kiosks. We can get down. It's water and fire. So in the centre, we're removing the fire component. It's just a feature for the expo. But this will come out. But the water feature becomes a venue. So during Ramadan, we have long tables where people can book their iftars and it's just a really beautiful environment to be in. And during COP, people are going to use this as a venue. 
And so it becomes a place to experience, but also a place to host. I think there was a fashion show here once this year as well. Yeah, so there's a lot that you can do in a place like this. You're about to experience this wave, but what actually happens is the water, it doesn't go further than a certain point, but it feels like you're in this big mad rush of water. It trickles down the pebbles. And it, yeah. I mean, I wonder how, because um, obviously it's quite a vast area, how has it been to try to envision it transitioning from a place you know, that was built for the expo to yeah. a proper city. Yeah. The trick for that was that we always planned it to be a city before it's a world expo. So it was built as a city to house a world expo for six months. So we never designed it with a world expo in mind. It wasn't designed to house, you know, 192 countries. We built a city before we built the vision for the expo. It was actually Legacy was the first department that we set up at expo when we won the bid. So back in 2014, so we won the expo, the right to host the expo, which is the genesis of this whole thing. But we won the right to host it in November 2013, and then the first department to be set up was a legacy department. Because how does this all fit into the wider plan, was the question that we asked ourselves. And of course, now you're setting up to host COP28, and of course, that puts on uh, pause a lot of the legacy plans in terms of tenants moving in and all of that but how has it been you know on a day-to-day -day in yeah. terms of activities and people coming here you were talking earlier about you know residents being engaged with the activities that happen at Expo City I'm just a bit curious about that whole process because obviously you're just setting up to host another well, big event we're four square kilometers right I mean this is a city twice the size of Monaco I actually don't think that anything has been put on hold The last year has been a necessary preparatory year to take a place that actually did host 24 million visitors and turn it into a place that can accommodate. So the example that I gave you and I'll show you about building the bridges and linking the buildings together so that they're ready to accommodate tenants takes time. These plots of land that I'm pointing out are going to be where the, the apartments are going to be built. I'll show you, actually, I'm going to take you to the sales center so you get a visual of how the apartments and what the site's going to look like. But it takes that long to prepare the city for that kind of activity. Meanwhile, bringing tenants in, and we already have, I think, over 3,000 tenants living here already, or working here already, whilst accommodating visitors, whilst being in the heat and figuring out mobility solutions. So doing all of that takes time. So I don't actually think that it's reasonable for a place to go from being a, a place that has an, an event overnight to being ready to being able to accommodate all of this. It's a process, it takes time. But I don't think it hasn't been, legacy has not been put on hold. Legacy is always a work in progress. And actually I think we've done quite well so far in terms of our legacy planning and delivering on it. So all of these buildings that you see You see the link bridge right there? Mm -hmm. That bridge didn't exist in event time, but putting those bridges up in the first floor and the second floor in accommodates the future tenants' needs. So it's almost like a living legacy because yeah, by... It's, it's by physical. Exactly, because by transitioning from being the host of an event to a city, you then are met with these real-life challenges and solutions that your as any city does. Yeah, that tenants might ask for. Yeah, as any city does, but then accommodating for an ongoing city that's living and breathing and it has people and it has you know this is a hotel that's regularly fully booked people come and stay here and they come and stay for the weekend and they walk around and they see our shows in the evening and they go to the events that we put on and 
one of the things I do is the thought leadership piece of work, a program and event. So, you know, we have a book club. We hosted a big event last week. These speaker series of people who contribute to conversations around sustainability and around cities. But then we're also planning a massive event for more than 500 people next January for sustainable cities in action. So mayors, decision makers, people who are changing the way cities live and how people interact with them. We're hosting a very big event that we want to be an anchor event every single year for Expo City Dubai to draw people who build, people who care about where we live and how we live into the city. So there is all sorts of things going on and all sorts of things being planned at every level. Of course, mobility is a big factor here. I mean, you are tapped into the metro system. You have kept most of the area pedestrianized, but with shading be it natural or by design so that so that it can be yeah so that it can be people can move around on foot how important has it been that mobility conversation when thinking about and talking about the legacy and the future of expo city so you can't get rid of cars right there's a massive parking underground because we're connected as the city of dubai by metro but not everybody i drive to work so i need a place to put the car So we're not doing away with the fact that we live in an ecosystem that has a number of different mobility solutions. But one of the things that we're looking at in our urban lab conversation is around mobility solutions, because that's obviously, this is a massive city. How do you get around and how do you innovate around getting around just in buggies? So right now we do it in buggies. But is that the only option that we have? Is that the only solution that we have that we can test and that we can innovate for? That's the kind of nature of the conversation that we're having around mobility. This is going to be one of the apartment buildings. So we've already broken ground and here you're going to see an apartment building in 2025. I'm going to show you the master plan. And all of those apartment buildings are already sold out. The ones that have been released are all sold. And it's really interesting to see the mix of nationalities who have purchased. It's very international. I will show you what it looks like. So yeah, this is the ultimate vision. This is the Dubai Exhibition Center. This is the entrance in from where I just showed you. These towers are the apartment buildings that are being released and are being sold. But it just gives you an idea of what currently exists. So this currently exists, it's called Expo Village. The mall is here and the mall is opening at the end of the year. So all the facilities that build towards building in a livable ecosystem are already in place or are imminently about to be built or will be built in the near future. It's quite a mix of high rises with low rises. You will have the villas. You have all these other infrastructure as well. I can see like green areas and what seems to be football fields and and leisure places as well. Yeah. It's you can't all go you can't go too high because the airport's around the corner. And that's also intended. We're not overbuilding. The difference between some of these builds that you'll see in the rest of Dubai versus here is that there is a very healthy balance between green space and built-up space. So we've planted over a million trees. You're not going to necessarily see the effects of that until chlorophyll kicks in. Chlorophyll takes a while to build, but that improves the whole livability of a place, right? So there's a reason why when you look out of the window, this is Terra, the Terra Pavilion, all of those solar panels and water-to-air technology in those panels. Everywhere you look around the Expo City speaks to living in balance. That's why you see so much green. Here is sort of the image of what these apartment buildings are going to look like. And then when we sell the villas, we spend a lot of time talking about our sustainability metrics. 
So how much, based on the technology that we're putting inside the build, does your electricity and water bill go down by? How does that have a material impact on you as a resident? These are the sorts of things we focus on. This is the villas that you were telling me earlier. These are the villas. So you're going to see this is the maximum number we're going to build. Whereas perhaps elsewhere, you see less of a balance between green and built. There's a nature reserve. It's just very natural. I don't know if it's ever going to be complete. I mean, that's the very nature of being a city. I don't see cities as static places. They're constantly evolving. They're constantly shaping. We have the opportunity to also shape and respond to needs and respond to requirements. So I don't think we're ever going to be in a position where we present a fait accompli city. Ta-da, it's ready, here, move in. It's a constantly evolving process. That seems like quite an, a great approach to city building and city planning because so many times there's this idea that the project is done, but actually cities evolve. They're almost living beings of their own. So being able to have that flexibility and understanding that things might change It's crucial, right? Cities are living places and they're inhabited by people. And so if you can't listen to people, how can you create the right environment for them? Nadia Vergi there in Expo City Dubai. And that's all for this week's episode of The Urbanist. If you want to hear more about those two stories or discover other city innovators in the UAE, make sure you pick up your copy of The Entrepreneur's Magazine, which can be found in all good newsstands now. And also remember to subscribe to The Urbanist on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to ensure you don't miss out on any new episodes. The Urbanist is produced and edited by myself, Carlotta Rabello and David Stevens. And to play you out this week, here's Throttle with Cities. Thank you for listening, city lovers.